Um, can I just start by asking, um, what are some of the things that you love? Things that you say you love? Just if you can shout out, chocolate. Good to have you back. <laughs> Bacon. <laughs> Very good. What else? What are some of the things that you love? Ice cream, people around us, babies, Abby, children. Ah, very good answer, very good answer. <laughs> you know, my uh, parents have visited, uh, and recently I told my parents uh, I love Hong Kong. I love Hong Kong for its many, many, uh, many, many things, the, the, the beaches and the city um, uh, that's here. And um, uh, there's so many things about Hong Kong that I love. But then, I think the question that we should ask as we come to this text is, should we love these things? <laughs> should we love these things? On the, first of, on the surface of it, maybe we shouldn't. It doesn't look like it. John starts out this text by saying in verse 15 that if anybody loves, uh, that we do not love the world or anything in this world, if anyone loves the world, the Father, but the love of the Father is not in them. Jesus says, the love that we have for the world is incompatible with the love for the Father. Uh, it's in the style of no one can serve two masters. Either you, ha- you will hate the, uh, hate the one and love the other, Matthew 6.24. But John does, and John does the, uh, use the word uh, world in a rather negative way in Gospel of John and throughout this letter. In his view, the world is a place that's controlled by Satan. He will tell us later on in chapter 4, verse 4, that Satan is in this world. And in ch- later on in chapter 5, 19, the whole world is in control of the evil one. And if we go back to his other book, uh, the book of John, Gospel of John, he told us that Satan is the prince of this world. Again and again, actually, uh, John 12, uh, 34, uh, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11. And the world and the church stand in stark contrast uh, to each other. Light and darkness. He speaks in these terms. So, he says, do not love the world or anything in this world. But then, John can't possibly mean that we shouldn't love anything in this world, right? Because how could he say that when he also writes in the same gospel, John chapter 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It says, God so loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son. And he's very aware of Genesis as well, right? How God created this whole world. And he again and again in, God, uh, in, in, in Genesis uh, calls the world good. The things that he has created good. These things are good things. Things that are lovable in many ways. So, actually, when we look at uh, his uh, uh, saying a little bit deeper, we also see that John himself qualifies this in verse 16. He goes on to say in verse 16, For everything in this world, meaning the cravings of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, comes not from the Father, but from the world. These things we are not to love. And we're going to talk about that in the second point. But let's then pause and ask, how are we supposed to love this world? What, is, what does it mean to hate this world? Or how, what does it mean to love this world? Is it okay for us to love Hong Kong? Is it okay for us to love this world? The people and the food and our jobs and the things that we do. And of course, the, uh, we're not the first uh, ones to ask these questions. In fact, St. Augustine, who lived in the 4th century, have asked these questions. And he makes sense, I think, of the Bible's teaching in a very clear way. 
And he believes that there is a way for us to love this world that doesn't subtract from the love of the Father, but actually adds to our love of God. The key, Augustine thought, is to put our loves in the right order. We can love things in this world because, he says, things are created uh, by God, and God calls them good. We ought to love the created things. But, then he goes on to say, though it is good, it can be loved in the right way or in the wrong way. In the right way, that is, in the proper, when the proper order is kept, and the wrong way when the order is upset. You see, something can be good in and of itself, but we can love it badly. We can love it more than we should, and sometimes we can love it less than we should. Take physical beauty, for example. Beauty is a good that God has created. When we see beautiful things, we are moved by it and we love it. But, Augustine says, he he points out that beauty fades over time. In the scale of goodness, it should rank fairly low. In fact, if you love beauty more than justice, mercy, generosity, these things that last, that reflect the character of God for a long, long time, and if we love physical beauty more than God, the eternal, and he says, sempiternal God, then the love that you have for that beauty is very wrong because it's not, it's being loved more than you should. There is a proper order of love. We ought to love things in the just right way. Not any less, but not any more. And not only should we love uh, things in the right order, uh, Augustine thought that since all things come from God, then all goodness of this world should point us back to God. James tell, tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And if every good and perfect gift comes from God, then beauty comes from God, justice comes from God, mercy and gentleness, money, family, food, sex, flowers, trees, ice creams, chocolates, and uh, children, all that comes, all come from God. And they should lead us back to God. They should remind us how good God is by creating all these things. It should remind us of God's goodness when we enjoy the good things in this world. This is what C.S. Lewis means um, when he wrote in his book, Four Loves. It is probably impossible to love any human being simply too much. We may love him too much in proportion to our love for God, but it is the smallness of our love for God, not the greatness of our love for many, that constitutes the inordinacy. See, it's okay to love your children, your spouses, and your friends a lot, that you are moved to die for them, that you you live for them in many ways. It's okay. We're meant to love for, uh, we're meant to love each other, and outside of God, Human beings are the ones who are closest to God. (laughs) Human beings resemble the image of God. And when we see other people, we should love these people more than we love other things because they resemble God. But we must not love each other more than we love God. And our love for God must be so much greater than anyone that we love in this world, even the people who we love the most, because people that you love come from God. And all the good things that you find in those people, anything that is good about the people that we love, um, will find, they, they pale in comparison to God's goodness. And their goodness is a pale reflection of God's goodness. And their qualities only point us back to God. It should make us love God even more. 
And then, if this is true, then I think there is a right way of enjoying the world, enjoying the things that God has given us in this world. We're not ascetics. We're not people who say, oh, we, we will refrain from all good things from this world and just concentrate on God. Because God has created this world. We can enjoy them in the right way, in the proper way. And because if we do, we also, if we enjoy things in the right way, we also, enjoy, uh, we also avoid idolatry. We're never making things of this world the ultimate things, the most important things. If we put people and uh, put our loves in the right order, we're using them to remind ourselves of the goodness of God, who we must love above all things. We're learning to see God's goodness in all things. And I think um, being a Christian means that we love the world more than other people. It adds to our love. Because I think, when I look at the creation, I mean, I think about the atheists who go on a hike, and, and you know, if you go on top of the mountain um, and see, look over Saikung, and you just think, oh, this is beautiful. But I think, you know, if you think about, if I think about what well, atheists might think about this beauty, they might say, well, this awe, sense of awe that I feel, well, that's, it's not awe at all. It's just the meaningless jumble of chemical reactions that's happening, and it's just some colors that is out there. But for us, as we see the beauty of the creation, we can praise God, the one who has made this for us, the one who has given us the sense to enjoy the world in this way. It makes us love the world, love God even more. We're moved to thank God for them. But also, it order, if, the, if we love things in the right way, it also guards us against devastations. We can love the world all the more for knowing God, but in the end, if we're loving God the right way, it's right, it's okay for God to take away things from us. So it's uh it's okay that we don't have the best food. It's okay that we when the when uh, friends and family um, uh, pass away, if we don't have the best vacations or good health, well, our health is taken away because we loved God. We through all those things, who we loved through all those things was ultimately God Himself. And even when God takes away these things that remind us of God's goodness, we remind ourselves that we have God the giver of all good things, the source of all goodness. We have God. We will mourn, but we won't be devastated by the things that we lose because we still have God, the source of all goodness, that the one all goodness points to. So, one, it's important that we love the world in the right way. But... As with most things, this is easier said than done. And as preachers like to say, we like, uh, we often make good things, God things. I don't know if you've heard that before. Good things, God things. No one can serve two masters. And we have the tendency, if we, whenever we receive something good, we think this must be the ultimate thing. We make that good, goodness, God thing. We love the world. And when we love the world, we forget, we often forget, we have the tendency to forget the God who has made the world. And this is why I think the new NIV translation has gotten it right in verse 16. It says that for everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the, uh, from the Father, but from the world. And lust, I think, is the right word for it because the desire for this world isn't just a faint, whimsical thought that comes in and out. There is a sense in which this desire for the world, for these things, drive us and overtake us and make us forget God, make us replace God with these things because the attraction to them is so strong, as, as strong as physical attractions. The cravings of the sinful man, or the lust of the flesh, as the New NIV translates it, it's craving for things like food, sex, drink, leisure, entertainment that overtake us, that often overtake us. And you might say, well, that, that's not me, but how often do we say things like, we live to eat? Oh, I've lived because I've done this. And Hong Kong is a place that loves its food. I mean, how many of you have, you know, before you go to a restaurant, you, before you eat, you take a picture of it and you show it to the whole world. And think about this culture, too, how, you know, 20 years ago, chefs weren't celebrities like they are today. Chefs are celebrities. They're worldwide celebrities these days. The slogan, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, isn't just something that people said in Corinth 2,000 years ago. It could be a slogan of today in Hong Kong. And of course, it's okay to love food. I'm so thankful that God has created good food with the savory food and the sweet food, all those combinations of goodness and our, uh, with the ability to enjoy, for us to enjoy food in that way. But has it taken over? Does it, is it, is our love uh, for food inordinate? Is it more than we should? Do we love food, for example, more than we love people? Sometimes we do. Spend, uh, think about how you spend your time. Do we love food more than we love justice? Where should food be in our order of loves? Sex is another thing that people live for. All the things that people do for sex, all the things that people sacrifice for sex, people sacrifice marriage. Desire for leisure and entertainment, the rest, these are also lusts of the flesh, aren't they? Desire for fulfillment, for immediate cravings in us. Whether that's through watching TV or sleeping, um, games or social media. John Stott says lust. Um, of the flesh is the tendency, he says, to be captivated by the outward show of things without inquiring into their true values. It's okay to appreciate these things, but do we know their true values? Do we know where they fit in in our order of loves? And the second lust that he mentioned, John mentions, is lust of the eyes, our unholy desires for um, uh, things that we see, for the material things that we see, for the beautiful things that we see, for status or even popularity. And once again, these are very difficult things to avoid in Hong Kong. Um, I've never seen so many Prada and Chanel stores as I have in Hong Kong. And so much advertising everywhere as well. Popularity contests don't seem to end in middle school and high school as they, I feel like they used to maybe, um, but they're, they follow us throughout university, through in our workplaces. Have they taken over? Because when they do, we will regret it. We will. Uh, Tolstoy wrote a short story called Death of Ivan Illich. 
Um, and even Ivan is a man of considerable wealth and status, but this is a reflection, the thoughts that come to his mind as he's dying. And as he's dying, he writes, it occurred to him that those scarcely perceptible impulses of, the, of, of his to protest at what, uh, what people of high status considered good, vague impulses which he had always suppressed, might have been precisely what mattered. And all the rest have not been the real thing. His official duties, his manner of life, his family, the values ad- adhered to by people in society and in his profession, all these might not have been the real thing. All these might not have been the real thing, and these are not the real thing, as he writes. They have their place in life, but they are not the ultimate things. They are not the real things. Lust of the eyes. How much of that have taken over our life? And finally, um, he moves from our inordinate and unholy desire for things that we don't have to this unholy pride for the things that we have or things that we have achieved, the boasting of what he has done, the pride of his life. In many ways, that doesn't need to be explained, does it? Um, when I was in the U.S., I saw uh, I, time to time would see these bumper stickers on, on cars. He who dies with most toys wins. <laughs> what a shallow desire to glory in things that you have, that the things that you've, you've accumulated, not only is it shallow, but it's completely misguided because even the ability to get things, achieve things, come from God. Our goodness come from God. Deuteronomy 8, 18 reminds us that it is God who gives us the ability to produce wealth and also confirms his covenant, which he swore to our, our ancestors. Our ability to achieve things come from God. We can't take all the credit for the things that God has done through us, for God is the one who has given us this ability. And before we move on, I want to point out that um, pride on our children might be something like this too, pride of life. When we tell others about our children how smart they are, how talented they are, how beautiful they are. Is there something, in a sense, uh, where we're living sort of vicariously through them and we're, we're identifying their achievements with our achievements? We're saying, look at them and then look at me. Their goodness is a reflection of my goodness. Their genes, well, they obviously come from my genes. Sometimes, as we point to others, uh, when we do this, we're pointing to our greatness as we boast about our children. Lust of flesh, of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. And most of these things are not bad, but our love for them is either too great or too small. Especially in case of people, I think our love for people too small. We need to order them rightly. We need to order them as God would order them, as God would value them. But one of the reasons why this is so hard, why putting the right order in things is so difficult, is because we forget that this world isn't ultimate. So John wants to remind us in verse 17. He goes on to say, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This world and its desires are 
passing away. And we need to continue to remind ourselves that this world isn't the ultimate destination for us. There is a new world that is coming. And we need to be convinced that this is the case if we are to put our loves in the right order. We need to have the perspective of eternity. Peggy Noonan was a former uh, speechwriter for Reagan, Ronald Reagan, and she wrote in September 1992, issue of Forbes magazine, this famous uh, paragraph. It's been cited again and again in many things, uh, but she writes, I think we have lost the old knowledge that happiness is overrated, that in a way life is overrated. We have lost somehow a sense of mystery about us, our purpose, our meaning, our role. Our ancestors believed, believed in two worlds and understood this to be solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short one. We are the first generation of man that actually expected to find happiness here on earth, and our search for it has caused much such unhappiness. The reason, if you do not believe in another, higher world, if you believe only in the flat material world around you, if you believe that this is the only chance at happiness... If that is what you believe, then you are, you are not disappointed. When the world does not give you a good measure of its riches, you are despairing. Whatever you think of our politics, Noonan is right in this regard. It's important to believe in, as she says, two worlds. It's important to believe that there is another world that is coming. If we are to find, recover our sense of meaning and purpose and our role in this world, if we believe that this flat material world is all that we've got, and this is the only chance at happiness that we've got, then everything in this world will take on an exaggerated significance. Think about that. I think we will develop this idea of sort of bucket list mentality. We'll make a list of all the things that we have to do before we die, before our time in this world runs out. Because this is the only chance that we got. Our holidays take on a special significance, won't they? In, in some ways, eternal significance, if this is the only time that you get to visit Vietnam. It's not right that I sacrifice my holiday um, to go on a mission trip. It's not right that I sacrifice my right to my hard-earned money. What I eat becomes more important. The things that we do become much more important if this is the only time that we're going to live. This is the only place that we're going to live. But you see what John says. The world, this world is passing away. And not only will it pass away, there will be another world that will come. The things that you thought were so important in this world, will not, you will not think of these things as so important in the next world. And whoever does the will of God will live forever with him. A world that is far better than this one is coming. And I guess this is what I'm saying. We're not going to, we're not, you're not making sacrifices. Um, you're not, uh, when we, when you go on a mission trip, we're not. We are going to enjoy vacations far better than the ones that you can go on right now. Far greater because another world is coming and we will have the whole eternity to explore the new creation that is freed from sin and death. And that's great news, isn't it? That we get to have that perspective, eternal perspective, and live for the important things that will last an eternity.
having the perspective of eternity will help us to put things in the right order. Love God fiercely. With love God with all your all of your mind, heart, um, uh, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love Him above all things, and love Him through all things. And as you do that, um, I should have looked this up. I um, uh, C.S. Lewis says, you know, in in, in the book uh, Great Divorce, that when you uh, go to heaven, it won't feel people who lived heaven will not feel that this is a completely new place. All the things that you have found good here on on earth will be there in heaven, but much, much better. Much, much better. So love this world in the right way. Love this in the right way. And we'll see God's goodness in all things. And I hope that um, this world, uh, in, in this week, that we'll come to love um, the world more. But as we love the world more, that we'll love God in all things as well. Let's pray.